And if you choose to follow the devil, that will be your decision. And the consequences will be upon your head. But please, don't go that way. Understand the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. But you have to make the decision. Now, what I like about this young man is that he's very frank and he's very honest about the struggle to give up all self-interest and follow after Jesus. It's not an easy decision. And most press away the choice and never make it but call themselves Christians. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. The decision must be made. Will I divorce? Will I drop my self-interest? And will I honestly take up my cross and follow Jesus? Please be as honest with me as this young man was this morning. I'm going to be continually in prayer for him. But he said to me, I must make a decision finally to either follow Jesus or follow the devil I'm having a horrible time trying to follow Jesus and listen to the devil. I said, yes, you're right. That puts you in an absolutely impossible position. Now, in the scriptures, there is a story that we shared together last night in our time of prayer at the National Prayer Chapel Jesus was with a number of Pharisees, scribes, religious people. They were reclining with him at the table. He had been speaking to them about the truths of the gospel. And then he shares a story, because one of the men reclining with him at the table say. Blessed is he who will eat a meal. Pardon me. Blessed is he who will eat a meal in the kingdom of God. Jesus replies with a parable, as was his custom. It's found in Luke, the 14th chapter. And I'm going to begin sharing with you in verse 16. I'm reading to you from a wonderful new Bible translation called Lavender's New Testament. It's translated by Dr. Malcolm Lavender, a highly regarded Greek scholar and Hebrew scholar. And he has just finished the translation of the New Testament. If you'd like to acquire a copy, you can go directly to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll find a link that will take you to a web page where you can order this new Bible. None of the proceeds will come to the National Prayer Chapel. We are simply encouraging you to purchase this because it is the New Testament that I will be using extensively on this broadcast. Now he said to him, A certain man prepared a great dinner. And he invited many. And he sent his servant at the hour of the dinner to tell the ones having been invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all began, one after another, to excuse themselves. The first said to him, I bought a field and I have necessity to go and see it. I ask you, have me excused. And another said, 
I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you, please, have me excused. <clears throat> Pardon me. And another said, I, I just married a wife, and because of this, I'm not able to come. Now, let's just stop for a moment and consider their excuses. Would a wise businessman purchase a field? Would a wise farmer purchase a field and never having seen it, have to go see it after you purchase it? Sight unseen? No, I don't think so. Farmers don't buy fields that way. They want to check the soil. They want to see if there are rocks in the field. They're going to very carefully determine the value of that field before they purchase it. And so we see this is an empty excuse. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go test them. Well, would a man ever buy a yoke of oxen and not examine them carefully to determine their age and their health and their strength? Of course not. These are but flimsy excuses. But particularly the last one. This is the social event of the year. This is a grand banquet by probably the king. When we find this story in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 1 through 14, it is a king who is offering this banquet. Now tell me, what woman is going to marry a man and then not want to go to the great banquet with the king? Just the contrary. She would be so excited that she has married a man who deserves the invitation of the king to come and dine with him. No, she would want to be a part of this great event that is taking place, the social event of the year. Now, she's going to be very grateful that she has just married this man so that she can even be included in the wonderful festivities that are about to take place. So we find all three excuses don't measure up. Verse 21, he continues, And that servant, having returned, reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, having been angry, said to his servant, You must go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind in Jewish culture are considered those cursed by God. It's obvious here he is speaking about going out and gathering the Gentiles because the Jewish people have rejected the Messiah. And so the word goes out. Gather the lame and the blind, the crippled, the poor. The servant came back and he said, Master, it's been done as you ordered, but there is still more room. And the master said to his servant, You must go out into the roads and the country lanes and urge them to come in that my house may be filled. Now the fulfillment of this is spoken of in Matthew, the 24th chapter, where there is one last gospel cry when the church, in full revival, goes out into the highways and byways to gather those last men and women, boys and girls, to come into the kingdom of God so that the Lord will have the number he desires to share with the salvation of heaven and the Father. Now, he says, 
I say unto you that none of those men, having been invited, will taste my dinner. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Why are they not chosen? The answer is simple, profound. They are not chosen because they have self-interest. This young man I spoke to you of in the beginning of the broadcast is utterly filled full of self-interest. It's what am I going to get out of this? It's how will I prosper by making this decision? Self-interest is that which clouds the mind and the heart and the soul from being able to give oneself utterly, totally, and completely into the hand of Almighty God. Not being able to say, I give myself freely, but rather withholding oneself out of self-interest. Let me continue reading. Verse 25. Now a large multitude, multitudes were going along with him. And having turned, he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not have single-minded loyalty to me over his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yet even his own life, he's not able to be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me is not able to be my disciple. Self-interest causes a person to be lukewarm. Jesus said, I am even at the door in Revelation, the third chapter. I am knocking to any man who would open the door. I will come in and I will eat with him. I will fellowship with him. But if that man's self-interest prevents him from opening the door, he will be found to be lukewarm and will finally be vomited out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. No intimacy will be there between he and our Lord. Now, self-interest takes many different forms. It can take the form of a job of an income. And first and foremost is that I must go to my place of employment and I must earn my money so that I can pay my bills. Self-interest. I can't drive far to go to church even though I know the one I'm going to is not profitable for me. I know I'm not growing in Jesus there. I know It's allowing me the comfort of remaining in my sin and remaining in my deadness. Someone I had not seen for a long time came to church this past Sunday. And I said to her, where have you been? And she said, I've been visiting different churches. I said, that's really not the answer, is it? The reality is you've been visiting different places hoping to find a gospel that will allow your self-interest to rule your life and still allow you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. She said, yes. I said, in other words, you're telling me that you have backslidden 
Yes. Self-interest always leads to backsliding. Self-interest always leads to a hardening of the heart against the moving of the Holy Spirit. It can be self-interest in a relationship. I'm not going to press too hard on this issue of following Jesus because if I do, I might lose my wife. One man actually said that to me. He said, if I put Jesus first in my life, my wife will leave me. She is very clear that she must be first. And so this man has year after year struggled to try to follow Jesus. At one time he was called to preach, but no more. At one time he ministered to others, but no more, because his self-interest dominate his life. He has put his wife and his children before Jesus. And because he's put his wife and his children before Jesus, he has become hard of heart. If I saw him, I would ask, are you not growing tired of the devil's food? Why don't you simply make the decision and put Jesus first? Another man said to me, Pastor, I cannot afford this time of waiting before Jesus. I must go and do something. I am reaching an age where where if I'm ever going to do something with my life, I'm going to have to go do it now. So off he went to do his ministry, and I saw him some years later, and I said to him, Does the church you're attending preach holiness? No, pastor. Then why are you there? Well, because our church is centered in outward mission, and we're able to do many wonderful things for the gospel of Jesus. I said, I I somehow seem to remember Something in the book of Matthew, wasn't it? The seventh chapter? Where Jesus said at the end of time, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do? And I will say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Self-interest. Self-interest rules the day in the American church. Is it any wonder that self-interest rules our federal government, our state government, our schools, our boards? Is it any wonder that the public realm is rift with corruption when the church has Refuse to deny itself and take up its cross and follow Jesus. I know today the great issue that's before us is will we leave our self-interest and will we follow after Jesus? I'm going to open the phone lines today. If you'd like to talk about this issue of self-interest or share where you are in the experience of casting out all self-interest, what do you call and share with me? The phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. 
877-534-0780. Have you cast aside your self-interest? Or is it still controlling your life? Are you still making excuses for why you cannot fully come and follow after Jesus? Many of you are following after religion. You're following after your church calendar. You're following after your rituals. But you are not following after Jesus. Jesus requires a total laying down. A total laying down of our own agenda. Following Jesus requires complete consecration. And please, hear me when I say to you that complete consecration is not the same as complete sanctification. Now let's be clear. There are two very specific meanings to the word justification and the word sanctification. And these words sometimes are a bit mixed in the Scripture, but the meanings are absolutely clear. Justification historically has been meant that Jesus forgave my past sins. But that is not what the Greek word means in the New Covenant. In the New Covenant, it means to be rendered righteous or rendered innocent. When a person comes to Jesus, they deny all self-interest. They pick up their cross, and they begin to follow Jesus. They deny themselves self-interest. As this passage so aptly says that I've just shared with you, let me read it for you again. If anyone comes to me and does not have single-minded loyalty to me over his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, and yet even his own life, he is not able to be my disciple. This young man that I spoke of at the beginning of the broadcast is not able to follow after Jesus. It's impossible for him. It is much too hard for him because he still has his self-interest. Until he is willing to cast his self-interest upon Jesus to be brought fully on that altar, he will not be able to follow Jesus. And many of you attend church, call yourself Christian, but self-interest still rules your heart and your life. And because of that, you're never able to really come and know Jesus Christ. So there is always that great distance between your heart and his. Consecration means, or justification means, that I've given up all self-interest. And now I am only interested in the kingdom of my God, in Jesus Christ. It says, And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me is not able to be my disciple. Now who from among you, desiring to build a tower, does not first, after having sat down, count the cost. Count the cost. If he has the things for completion. Lest after having laid his foundation and not being able to finish, all the ones observing might begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Some of you have not been able to finish and come into the peace and the rest 
of Jesus Christ. You're always troubled in your mind. You're always bickering with your wife or your husband. You're always in contention at work. You're always struggling for money. There's always an issue in your life. Why? Because you have not been willing to lay down and divorce your self-interest for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus does not stand between you and your wife or you and your family. Jesus does not stand between you and your job. Jesus does not stand between you and your church. Because your heart is still a divided heart. You still have not made that covenant decision to forsake all others and follow after Jesus Christ. Until you make that decision, you cannot be saved. You cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot enter Pilgrim's Progress until you have entered through that narrow gate. Now, once through that narrow gate, there is a great work of sanctification that is not about leaving sin. It is rather dealing with the marring of your soul by sin. The marring is not sin. You are not deliberately following after the ways of darkness. You are instead seeking after Jesus with all of your heart, but there rises up in you another part of your soul that you know you're at war with. You know you have the victory, except occasionally you get wiped out. There is now a work of sanctification that must be done in your soul. If you go to me, with me over to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, the sixth chapter beginning in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin may be destroyed, that is, utterly annihilated, that we not hereafter serve sin. For the one having died has been freed from sin. And then verse 11, So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, the sin must not reign in your mortal body to obey it in the lust of it. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. Law and grace. Sin and grace do not exist in the same space. Grace exists in the righteousness that comes from another source other than the law. It comes to you from Jesus Christ. Now, there's another passage of Scripture that I'd like to read to you quickly, and then we're going to talk about it. But again, I want to give you our phone number, 877-534-0780. If you know today that you are backslidden, if you know that self-interests have once more stepped in and you have been captured by sin, and you need someone to pray with you, I am happy to pray with you. I'm here for the purpose, not just to proclaim the word to you, but to pray for you. If your heart has been troubled these last days, 
because you know the self-interests of your heart are blocking your way to Jesus. And you are tired of the distance between your heart and Jesus' heart. Then call quickly and let's talk about it and let's pray together about it. 877-534-0780. Lord, I know that there are men and women listening to this broadcast right now who are backslidden, who are lukewarm, whose hearts are not on fire for you, Jesus. I pray that you would move with convicting power now as I'm praying for them. I pray that you would step in and bring great conviction upon their heart that they must get right with you, that they must be utterly consecrated and given to you. Lord, would you cause them to leap within their heart to say, yes, yes, I need Jesus now. I'm going to get clean with Jesus now. Oh, Lord, would you do that? Would you do that now? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now, there's a passage in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, that I want to share with you. I'm going to begin with chapter 5, verse 25, 25b. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up on her behalf. Now, I want you to see he did not hold on to his self-interest. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. It was about Jesus giving up all self-interest, totally giving himself over to the Father to die on a cross. He did not want to die. His self-interest was to live. But he said, I will die. I will give my life for my people. And he died on that cross. He gave himself up for our behalf, on our behalf. Now let's be clear, this is the atonement he's speaking about. Jesus was the atonement. Many say the work of Jesus was finished on the cross. It was finished on the cross. It was finished on the cross in one sense and one sense only. The full provision for every person in the world to avail themselves of the gift of Jesus' blood was made possible. Let's take a quick call. Again, the number is 877-534-0780. Welcome. What would you like to share? Hello. Pastor Ray. There you are. Now I have you. Okay. Uh, this is Mr. Gwen Thompson, and I would like to respond to your subject today. Yes. Um, my response is, is a song that says, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. There are some that are, I would just like to encourage those that are struggling, cannot make up your mind, because that's the bottom line. In plain English, if you can't, you, you could be struggling and, and not being the disciple, the child of God that Jesus Christ has called you to be, you could be holding on to things that has nothing to do with your advancement and your relationship with Jesus Christ or uh, that will advance you to make it into the kingdom of heaven. The bottom line is this. You just haven't made up your mind. And I would like to encourage those that are listening. I gave my life to Jesus Christ at the age of 21. That's a very young age. 
through all my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and now I'm in my 60s, listen, listen to me very carefully. The Lord Jesus Christ, he comforted me. He gave me comfort. He gave me strength. He gave me joy. The scripture said the joy of the Lord is our strength. He gave me joy. He gave me hope. He guided me with his eyes. And with all of those spiritual components, I have never, not a fraction of a second, had a struggle to want to serve Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, with all those spiritual components, it, it increased my love. It increased my spiritual hunger. It increased my spiritual thirst to want to follow Jesus. And now in my life, now I'm in my 60s, I cannot explain it. I cannot put it into English words. It's an honor to suffer for Jesus. Yes. It's an honor because he said in his word, he said, in order for us to reign with him, we must suffer with him. Now, it's an honor to reign with Jesus. You know, we sing the song, he reigns, and he reigns. To reign with Jesus, we must suffer with him. So those that are listening and you are struggling, the struggle is not the outward. The struggle is the inward. And and I have heard people say, well, you know, I asked Jesus to save me, and I'm still smoking. I asked Jesus to save me, and I'm still fighting. I asked Jesus to save me, and I'm still uh, using profanity or clubbing or whatever the case may be. And so we want to put it on Jesus Christ that we are still, uh, uh, the, um, the world call it, the religious world call it straddling the fence. There is no fence. You are straddling with your will to give up. And so I want to encourage you today, the more you give up, the happier you will be. The more you give up, the closer you will feel uh, with Jesus Christ, and your life will be so happy. That's why I came up with that song. And now I am happy all the day. You can experience spiritual success, spiritual joy, spiritual hope, spiritual um, uh, peace and strength as you give up. You're not going to experience these things until you do give up. You're, you're listening to somebody, like I said, I gave my life to him at the age of 21. That's a very young age. And I have not struggled, not a fraction of a second. And you have not turned back. Have not turned back. Haven't even had the mind. Haven't even, like you may hear some Christians may say, I'm really having a difficult time and making up my mind whether or not I want to follow Jesus. I, I, I have never had that. I don't know what they talk about. That sounds like a foreign language to me. No, Gwen, the difficulty in following Jesus is that self-interest still rule our hearts. Yes. And those have to be laid on the altar. will lead you and guide you how to lay them on. The closer you get to him, it's such a beautiful relationship. It's just like a, a woman falling in love with a man. You know, this, uh, well, I'll give you a good example. When I fell in love with my husband, I don't like to cook. Now, uh, you know, when I'm sleepy and tired at night, I'm baking him cookies. And I do not like to cook. And I prepare any meal that he may request. Why? Because I have fallen in love with him. It's the same with Jesus. When you fall in love with Jesus, you want to give up yourself. So I encourage everyone, let it go. Let yourself go and fall in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. Sister Gwen, thank you for your testimony. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. I need some help, Mr. Producer, on, there we go, I got it. I want to read to you the the words of an old song. I don't see the date for the song, I just know it's an old one. Oh, yes, here it is, Uh, 1847, All to Jesus... I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. 
I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me, Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. See, it's as we allow Jesus to take full control and we cast out every self-interest by the power of his blood. It's not something we have to do on our own. We have to be willing to allow him to do this work in our hearts, and he will do it. He will do it for you. I just know by the Spirit today that there are many of you who are in that valley of decision. You've not made the decision to totally give your life into his hand. Oh, you've made the decision, but then your self-interest have risen up and you've said, well, I have to keep this. No, put it all in his hands. Put your relationships in his hands. Put your wife, your husband, your children, your job. Put your finances in in the hands of Jesus, and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you to work it all out according to your will. Read his promises, stand by faith, and he will do it. And again, our phone number is 877-534-0780. If you'd like to call, you're welcome to. I'd be happy to pray with you. Now, I want to come back to this passage in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Before I do, I just need to be faithful to the Lord in sharing. This broadcast is on the air because Jesus chooses to have it on the air, and he moves in the hearts of people like you to give tithes and offerings so that we can pay the bill at the end of the month. You're welcome to send your tithe and your offering for this broadcast, and every penny will go to cover the cost of this broadcast, to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. Again, the address, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage where you'll find videos and podcasts, or go to YouTube and just type in a search for Pastor Ray Greenley, and you'll find hundreds of videos teaching the gospel, straight, unvarnished, clean. Now, in the few minutes we have left in this broadcast, if there are no calls, I'm going to speak with you about this passage of Scripture in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. This is verse 25, part B. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up on her behalf. Now, literally, it means that Jesus made available the fullness of his blood to wash away our sins. But the work of the gospel was not finished at the cross. What was finished was the work of the atonement. But now there is, according to the book of Hebrews and many other passages, a great work to be accomplished when men and women have turned aside from their sin. They have been washed in the blood of Jesus. They have been made clean. Now there is another work 
that must go on. Verse 26, So that he might make her holy, having cleansed her with the washing of water by a rhema, by a rhema. Literally, he's saying, the atonement was finished for you at the cross. But now, you must let him make you holy. To be made holy means to give up all self-interest, to do as it says in Romans, the 12th chapter, lay my life as a living sacrifice upon the altar of God, to be totally given over to him for his work and for his purpose. And now he begins an inner cleansing process that deals with the deepest depths of human deprivation and human wickedness. And he does this by the spoken word, not the written word. He does this as you take the word of God. You take the sermon of a godly man or woman. You hear from the Lord that rhema word, that that word that is for right now, active, cutting, convicting, so that he might present her, that is the church, to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she may be holy and blameless. The work of God is, first of all, with Jesus at the atonement at the cross. But you cannot stay at the cross You must be allowing yourself to be pulled through that cross where you now give up all self-interest, where now you are consumed by the interest of Jesus Christ himself, where you are pulled through that cross in victory. The old has gone. You're no longer walking in the sins of the flesh but now you are very clear and very straight and very honest. And the Holy Spirit begins to do an inner washing, healing the marred places in your soul. Some of you have had abortions. You have murdered your babies. Some of you have been prostitutes. Some of you have been thieves or liars. Some of you have been filled with pride and self-sufficiency. Some of you have been filled with wicked, positive thinking. All of these things mar the soul and cut deep inroads into the soul. Now you must allow Jesus to come in the Holy Spirit and begin to wash you and reestablish you. You're not walking in any known sin, but now there are deep mars in your character. There are deep wounds in your spirit. And Jesus wants to come by this rhema word. He wants you to allow him to remove all of the wicked tendencies of your heart. He wants to remove from you that flashing temper. He wants to remove from you the judgments that so quickly arise in your heart when you are not treated as you think you should be treated. He wants to come in and wash and cleanse and heal you in the inner places of your soul so that he might present you to himself glorious, not having a spot or a wrinkle, blameless, holy. That's what the book of Ephesians is teaching us. That it's not enough to simply turn away and say, I will follow Jesus. But then we must deal with the wounds of the past. 
We must let the Holy Spirit come and touch us and say, let me heal that area for you. Let me restore you to the likeness of Jesus. Let me remove these mars from your character. I want to completely heal you of that depression, he says, or that anger. I want to completely remove the tendency in your heart to defend yourself and to lie. I want to make you into a new creature, he says, spotless and blameless before God. This is such a great work of salvation that Jesus is doing on our behalf. It is incomparable to anything we've ever imagined. Now, we're out of time for today, but let me pray. Lord Jesus, this gospel is such an incredible gospel both to forgive us for our sins, but then not to leave us broken and bruised, but to heal us and restore us, to make us holy. Lord, I thank you. I ask you to bless the word that has been spoken to the heart of your people today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. If all the world 